Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is Wednesday, the 13th of April, 2022. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Love to be talking with you about the issues of the day and bringing the mind of Christ to bear um, on all of these. Um, I just want to lead off with this this morning. Uh, For those of you who are Minnesota Vikings fans, there is um, a storyline related to the Vikings co-owner, whose name I may mispronounce, so forgive me if I do, Mark Wilf, Paul Perot, my producer, so faithfully listening. Do you know, am I pronouncing it correctly? Wilf, W-I-L-F. Yeah, we don't talk a lot about the Vikings co-owners. All right, so it is, um, the the Ukrainian situation is personal for him. His parents, um, are survivors of the Holocaust. His family are Holocaust survivors. And so he is taking, um, helping Ukrainians right now very, very personally. And he talks about um, helping Ukrainian refugees as upholding his Jewish faith. And so I just think that anytime there's a high profile member of our community um, who is taking his faith personally and then taking his faith um, publicly into the streets, like we ought to be taking note of that. Um, and so <clears throat> as important as sports are to his family, he says, helping those in need according to m- the Jewish value of repairing the world um, comes first. He says, that's why uh, as soon as I learned about how the war in Ukraine was forcing millions of people to flee the country, I had to see firsthand what refugees um, were enduring and how I could help. He says, my parents were born in Poland, not far from the Ukrainian border, and they suffered horrendous deprivation and loss during the Holocaust before finally escaping to America and starting their life over again. That taught me the bedrock principle in Judaism that nothing is more important than preserving and celebrating life. Uh, And so he says, that's one of the reasons that I became active with and now serve as the chair of the Jewish Federations of North America. It's an organization that supports uh, not only Jewish communal life and vulnerable populations of all faiths and backgrounds around the globe. Um, and, he, and he goes on to talk about how his family is unabashedly Zionist and in support of the nation of Israel. I just wanted to lift this up because I think that there are times that we imagine that uh, high profile individuals in the culture, people who have a lot of money, people who um, operate in, in spheres of influence that, frankly, you and I will never have the opportunity to touch, we imagine that they don't ever talk about their faith. And in this case, um, Mark Wilf is not only talking about his faith, he's publicly celebrating it. He's advocating it. Um, he is describing it as the lens through which he is living. And so it's an opportunity to point to a person of a different faith, in this case of the Jewish faith, 
and to say, look, here is a person who is very publicly bringing their faith to bear um, on the realities of the world and and upon life. Um, We talk about catechizing our kids. We talk about teaching our kids the things of the faith. Um, Here is a person who is very obviously and evidently doing that, seeking to preserve not only the history of his faith, but have it be a living faith in the world today. So how might that be an inspiration to you and me? How is Christianity not just, you know, the history of our people, not just a heritage conversation about our families of origin? How is it a living faith today? And how are we promoting the bedrock values of Christianity in the same way that Mark Wilf is uh, is very publicly advocating the bedrock principles of Judaism as he understands them. How, I mean, the blessed to be a blessing, that's essentially what he's living out there. Uh, God's command to Abraham in the opening chapters of Genesis that, you know, he's chosen this people, he's going to bless them in order that they would be a blessing to all nations. Well, how how am I living out the bedrock principles of Christianity? How am I living out, um, not only communicating the Great Commission, but how am I living into it? We're going to talk about the Great Commission and how it unfolds in the world today in a conversation with Josh Irby and Karita Chen. Um, the conversation is about mission shift. How, um, how should we as Westerners understand what the rest of the world has to say about us on the topic of mission? That's up next when Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Joshua Irby. He is the Crew City Global Europe Partnership Director, and he is joining us today with his friend and colleague, Karita Chen. Josh and Karita, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having us. Uh, Great to be here, Carmen. So, Josh, I am going to um, let you introduce us to Karita and to this conversation called Mission Shift. Yeah, I'd be glad to. so Karita and I work on a team that, that is uh, looking at global missions and how we in America can be involved in helping to accomplish the Great Commission. And we both uh, lived overseas. I uh, lived in, in uh, Eastern Europe for uh, 11 years with my family, just recently came back in 2020. Karita has lived in Asia for a number of years with her husband, came back and has worked with mobilizing the uh, Asian church to be involved in missions. And as a team, we began to notice how much missions is changing today, both in America and around the world. And uh, that led to us to this project to try to explore how missions has changed and how we need to to respond to that. So Karita uh, and I started, to, along with some people on our team, talk to mission leaders around the world and begin to explore um, how they see the the Western involvement in mission today and how they would like to see that, which is often not uh, the same answer. So um, the podcast is called Mission Shift. That's an opportunity mm-hmm. if you're listening to, you know, hear this really unpacked further. Um, we are literally going to just like touch the mountaintops in terms of uh, the conversation that um, that Josh and Karita are having on the Mission Shift podcast. So let me encourage you to find it everywhere that uh, your, you know, your favorite podcasts um, are found. Um, Karita, maybe tell us this, like, 
who who did you ask and um, why did you ask that particular group of people? And then we'll kind of go through what you guys learned. Yeah, that's a great question, Carmen. I think we were very intentional at wanting to ask people that are like not in our circles per se. I mean, yes, in some ways, like people who are involved in missions, both in going and in sending, we, we did that, but we also wanted to make sure we covered a wide variety. We, we talked with people who are pastors here in America who are involved in global sending. We talked with missiologists who have been in the practice of missions, but who have also like done a lot of research and written books about it. Um, and we've talked with national leaders in like their country. So we have some African leaders. We have a, a leader from Sri Lanka, from Costa Rica. And so as you can tell, we really wanted it to not be just through the lens of those of us sitting here in America, thinking about missions, but really wanting to hear from people who are, um, who really cover the globe in all areas, whether it be uh, ethnicity, culturally, even um, we have men and women on the podcast. And so our hope is that what people hear, they can relate to on multiple levels. And, you know, again, we wanted it to not just be from one lens, because we know that if we're talking about missions being something that everybody is a part of, we need to hear from the everybody. That's so good. Um, yeah. um, Josh, maybe define for us missions. Maybe we should back up and define that. And then um, maybe tell us one of the things that these folks that you are talking with um one of the things that they're saying. Yeah, I mean, missions begins with Jesus' command for us to go and make disciples of all nations. So that's really that that calling to go out and to make disciples of all nations is missions. And it's moved from this small group of people in Jerusalem and, and, and spread out both directions. You know, there's history going towards India, and there's history spreading through through into Europe and, and the Roman Empire, and then spreading across the sea to America. And then there's these wonderful historical moments where the church has gathered, like in 1910 in Edinburgh, uh, a gathering of, of folks who wanted to see how do we accomplish this mission to get the gospel to everyone. And it seemed so daunting and, and impossible at the time. And yet now we have gatherings of people with representatives from all around the world coming together uh, to not only celebrate what God has done in his mission, that we're actually seeing disciples from every nation today. Um, but uh, but the thing about how do we finish this task of making disciples of all nations? So that'd be my, my, my brief explanation of that. But, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that shocked me, and this is, I'm speaking as someone who really my, my only career has been <laughs> related to missions since I graduated from college over 20 years ago is that the places that were once mission fields are now becoming mission forces. Mm. That we talk with a guy, Ade, who is a part of the largest uh, mission association in Nigeria. They have a vision that over the next 15 years, they send 50,000 missionaries to the hardest to reach places in the world. And I'm thinking, do I think of Africa as a mission force? Do I think of Nigeria as a mission force? Or we talked to Carlos Abarca in, in, in Costa Rica, who started his own mission agency that's sending missionaries to, say, northern Iraq, where they're starting church planning movements or all around the world. Am I thinking of, of South America and Latin America as a mission force? And that just one reality kind of drives the conversation. And it's not that the mission has shifted in the sense of 
go and make disciples. That is the exact same mission that it's been since Jesus gave us that challenge. But the way we do that needs to change in light of new realities in the world today. That is so helpful. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Josh Irby and uh, Karita Chen. We're talking about mission shift, the reality taking place in the world as the Great Commission um, is accomplished uh, more and more by people in places that you and I would think are places where the mission still needs to go. And those have now become mission sending, uh, mission launching centers. And so we're going to talk about that mission shift more in just a moment. Mission shift is a podcast that you can find um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we're going to continue the conversation here on Mornings with Carbon. I've come to think of Josh Irby as one of those guys who brings us his friends and shares such um, great news about the good work of God globally. Um, The last time Josh was here, I think, was like a year ago, and he brought Mm -hmm. his friend Slavko to talk with us about what's going on in Bosnia, Herzegovina. Um, Mm -hmm. Today, he um, he has brought another friend with him. Her name is Karita Chen. They're working together on something called Mission Shift. It's a podcast that you're going to want to hear. Um, Karita, um, when um, when you think about the things that you have heard during these Mission Shift conversations to this point, is there something that stands out to you as like, you know, that is just really one of those things that I suspect people listening with Western ears are going to have a hard time hearing? <laughs> There are, and you know, we don't have enough time to go through all of those things, but I would say one of the big ones is the lesson of humility. And I don't say that in the, with the intention that we're all prideful people, but I think what we need to pay attention to is so many times we in the West subconsciously, including myself might think that we have what like the they the others need to hear and we know better than what they have because you know that's kind of been the idea is we had the message or we had the resources and so we're going to go and provide that and i think what we need to pay more attention to is it's not that it's really more of a building of relationships sharing of resources and oftentimes actually us learning like now us learning from those who are living over there because they know better and then asking the questions of how then do we come alongside with an attitude of humility? Because if we're really, but back to what I was saying earlier, if we're really all about doing this together, we need to have that posture, you know? And, and it really reminds me of just even uh, like, I grew up here in America, but I am Chinese American. And when I was growing up, I didn't really see myself as being part of the missions force because all the stories I heard were of white missionaries and specifically white men, you know, doing missionary work overseas. And as I've looked back at my story, I've seen kind of the, the, how it's progressed into the everywhere, everyone to everywhere and us participating together because both both of my set of my parents, as well as my in-laws became believers overseas through missionaries that left from America and brought them the gospel message to them. And then they eventually, long story short, ended up here in America. My in-laws first went to Brazil um, and they were a part of church there. And then they came here to America and then get this, they ended up going back 
to China years later um, to be missionaries there. And uh, my husband and I, when we were living overseas, we actually went back to the province that my husband's grandmother actually left you know, to actually leave the country. And that's what we served um, as missionaries there. And when I look at all that, I think if, if people didn't have the heart of, we're going to like work together to bring a gospel message because we're all part of this together. We're part of God's kingdom. We will miss out on being able to come alongside people from all different cultures, all different races, all different nationalities to really give lift to what God has in store for us, not what we have in store. And I think sometimes that's hard to hear as Westerners because, you know, I, again, I speak for myself too. I can still carry that. I know better attitude, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. that's something to keep in mind. And I, we literally just barely touch on that in our podcast. And so there's a lot more to listen to actually later on, as we share some of the interviews that we had with people, you'll hear a lot more than we actually get to talk um, about when Josh and I are doing our episodes. Yeah, no, I totally yeah. get that. I, I, I acknowledge that the conversations that we have with people um, illuminate so much more um, mm-hmm. than just, you know, when, when we're commenting on things. So yes. Josh um, and, and Karita, both of you, you both have like this missionary DNA in your families. Like that sounds mm-hmm. like, right. I am wondering, right. um, I am wondering, Josh, as you talk with maybe next generation folks, or when you talk with folks at crew about cultivating um, this kind of spirit, like how do we cultivate that missionary DNA generation to generation? Yeah, that that's such an important question um, because even within mission agencies, okay, like uh, like crew, there can be this sense of let me just worry about what's going on right in front of me locally. Mm-hmm. Why should I think about somewhere else? I have so much going on right here, and I think it it comes down to um, people. We heard time and time again how mission started for a church or for a person because they met someone from another place. Maybe there was a Bulgarian in their church, or maybe uh, there was an African in their church, and they went back and visited their village with them. Um, th- this relational aspect of missions, the, the, the missions is not a task. It's actually relationship with people. And so the best way, I think, to cultivate a heart for missions is to get our people into contact with people who are different than them, who are from other places around the world, mm-hmm. to hear their story to um, ask questions, to be curious. And then as God opens the door, you know, take a step, take a step Mm -hmm. in that direction and not to go and do something to someone over there, Mm -hmm. but to come alongside people and to experience life and to learn from them and in the context of that relationship Mm -hmm. uh, to bring the gospel. So that's Really, if you think about missions, and this is one of our ways of missing it as Americans, we're so task-oriented, we're so project-oriented, achievement-oriented, that we miss the relational aspect of the Great Commission. It was go and make disciples. Making mm-hmm. disciples is relational. Yeah. At its core. I love that. I love that. Um, we just talked last week with Hunter Farrell from um, Pittsburgh Seminary um, and his mm-hmm. new book, Freeing Congregational Mission, and this idea of being um, like in genuine relationship with other people, uh, you know, mm-hmm. getting away from this 
this notion that I have something that other people need and I am going to deposit it there and then I am going to leave. Um, that is really uh, – th- th- that idea is really um, passe and we mm-hmm. are moving forward um, in ways that I think are much more authentic in terms of mission. And you guys are helping us see that. The podcast is Mission Shift. Uh, Josh Irby and Karita Chen, uh, that's who you're looking for. Hey, Josh, before we let you guys go, and mm-hmm. I know we're uh, we're over time, but I'd love for you to just give a quick comment about your observations and thoughts, what's going on in Eastern Europe. Well, I'm actually heading over there in two weeks. Um, it's nearby to Romania and Moldova. And, um, you know, my heart is really broken uh, for the displacement we have you know, uh, speaking for our organization, we have uh, had 150 staff in Ukraine that are now uh, spread out all over the place. And and so there's a, there's a sense of heartbreak, and it, it is not just in Ukraine. It's every country nearby. Um, I just heard talking to someone who is recently in Bulgaria and how that's changed the environment there. And um, so there's one sense of, of kind of brokenness, but there is some beautiful gospel hope that that's going that's spreading i just was talking to a guy in moldova yesterday who they've turned all all their offices into refugee centers and they've had Mm -hmm. over 700 ukrainian refugees come through there Mm -hmm. and to see pictures of the smiling faces of these kids who are being taken care of in these refugee centers he was talking about people who are turning their hotels into refugee centers so they can care for people and that's happening all over Eastern Europe. And, and and God's people are doing amazing, amazing work over there. And and believe it or not, like the gospel is spreading in the midst of a really, really dark time. Hmm. Yeah, Christian colleges, seminaries, hotels, camps, conference centers, um, as you mentioned, um, hotels, um, offices. We are we are hearing all kinds of stories about uh, people. Um, just being moved to convert all kinds of spaces into places where refugees can be served and mm-hmm. doing so in the name of Christ. And God's going to get his witness in that. I just think there's no yeah. question about it. So thank you both so very much. We're going to tune in to the podcast Mission Shift. We've been talking with Josh Irby and Karita Chen. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Cast my mind to Calvary. One of the stories of Holy Week that we uh, that we recognize is when Pilate offers to free Jesus, seeing that Jesus has done nothing worthy of Roman crucifixion. Um, he offers to set Jesus free, um, and he puts forward another person as well, and that person is Barnabas, who is actually a criminal. And the people call a Barabbas, call not for the release of Jesus, but for the release of Barabbas. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, what happened to that guy? Well, there's a um, an author um, named Matt. He, um, he he actually just goes by uh, by his initials, M.D. Um, so M.D. House imagines the story of Barabbas following that moment. And he's actually published a trilogy. I was called Barabbas, Pillars of Barabbas, and now the legacy of 
Barabbas, um, the Barabbas legacy. It's a trilogy. He's going to join us next. We're going to talk about this character, Barabbas, what we know from the scriptures and what MD House imagines happened after that. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Joining us now, M.D. House. He's the author of the Barabbas Trilogy. I was called Barabbas, Pillars of Barabbas, and now the Barabbas Legacy. Mike, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's do this. Um, this is Holy Week. Barabbas comes on the mm-hmm. scene. We meet him. Um, so just introduce us to Barabbas for people who don't know this story from the Bible. Sure. Well, I have to say that I never expected to write anything about Barabbas. I was supposed to be a science fiction writer. But this story impressed itself on my mind a few years ago to such a degree that I had to start writing something about it. And then it became book one, and then it became book two, and then there was a third book in there. So, So now we've turned it into a trilogy, and it's been an amazing journey for me just to think through what might have happened. We don't know actually what happened to the man called Barabbas. We know from the Gospels, each each of the writers of the Gospels mention him. Uh, They call him a notable prisoner of the Romans. They call him an insurrectionist, a robber, a murderer, a seditionist. So so he was notable with the Romans. He probably was a rebel, uh, a Jewish rebel, and the Romans hated him. He probably murdered Roman soldiers. And he was offered to be released. And the crowd, made up probably primarily of, of the leadership or the upper class of the Jews, demanded instead that Jesus be crucified. And what would have Barabbas thought at that moment? Uh, he probably had heard of Jesus. Uh, I don't know if he had heard him preach, but he'd probably heard who he was. And he had prepared himself to die. He was ready to die, probably. And all of a sudden, he's released, and this man called Jesus is going to die in his place, just as he died in our place, in, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then there's nothing else written about him, and, and we don't know exactly what happened. Uh, and, I, and I liken that a little bit to Cornelius as well. We, we have this great story about Cornelius who sees an angel, and Peter has his vision, and they meet, and all of Cornelius' household is baptized, and then we see almost nothing. Uh, but Cornelius had a purpose. He was a powerful centurion. The Lord had purposes for him, and I, I wish we knew more, uh, and someday we will. Someday the the heavens will open up all the records that have been recorded there, and we'll see what happened to Barabbas, and we'll see what happened to Cornelius and others. Yeah, I'm um, I'm interested in what happened to Nicodemus. Yeah, like he's a he's a character in the story that I like often wonder about. Like, gosh, he seems to believe, and then he's oh, so hesitant and resistant to give up the trappings yeah. of um, yeah. you know of the privilege that he lives oh, in. Sure. Um, I mean, just on and on and on. So, all right. So the characters that you wonder about don't just include Barabbas, but we're going to focus on Barabbas now um, because you've written this really excellent trilogy exploring, um, you know, what might have happened. So um, what might have happened um, when we think about this character, Barabbas, take us forward from the moment 
that, you know, he's he's released. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus is condemned and Barabbas is released. Take us into some of what you imagine happened. Yeah. Well, the first thing to remember is that God doesn't force anybody into anything. So everyone has a choice to follow or not to follow the Savior. Paul himself had that choice. He had that vision on the road to Damascus, and he was given a choice, and he made the right choice. Now, in in my telling of the story of Barabbas, he becomes a mentor to Barabbas, but Barabbas had that same choice. What are you going to do with your life now? You've been freed. Uh, Are you going to learn more? about Jesus of Nazareth, or or are you going to ignore it and go on in your old ways or some new way or whatever, right? We all have our choice. I think that's the primary message. Now, the way I chose uh, to to drive this story in in my mind was that Barabbas uh, did slowly, it took some time, did slowly come to follow the Savior and then started to take on some responsibilities in the building of the kingdom. And then it becomes a story which was just amazing to me to to research and write. It becomes a story of the faith and the courage and the strength of the early saints and all the things Mm -hmm. they accomplished. They gobsmacked the world. They really did. Mm The world had never seen anything like the explosive growth of the church. And and now we have what we see now, right, with billions of Christians on the planet because of the work that those early saints did. It's amazing to think about. I love um, the attention that you give to the spread of the gospel in the early years, uh, and mm-hmm. I appreciate the study that you did on all of that. We're talking with author M.D. House. We're talking about the Bar- uh, the Barabbas trilogy. Um, The latest book just released is The Barabbas Legacy, but you'll want to start with I Was Called Barabbas and then read Pillars of Barabbas. Uh, The Barabbas Legacy is the book just released. Um, Mm -hmm. You can find MD uh, online at mdhouselive.com. Um, let's talk a little bit about the spread of the gospel in the early years. I mean, when you yeah. say, you know, they, they gobsmacked the world, like it is jaw-dropping when you read the book of Acts and you consider the spread of the gospel in the early years of the church. It is, and there were so many miracles, and that's that's one of the things I focus on all the time, not just during Holy Week, but all the time, is all the miracles that are happening all around us. If we We can become more aware of those. I've become more aware of those over time. Uh, I think earlier in my life, I was largely ignorant. Uh, But now I I recognize more of those miracles. God is constantly trying to help us. Everything he does is for our benefit. There isn't anything he does that isn't for our benefit. Even if that thing looks negative to us at the time, it's something he's doing for our benefit. So the miracles in the the early days of the church were just, just amazing. And people were exercising faith. And that's what brings those miracles and it is it is amazing. Now, now, it wasn't without contention to some degree. It wasn't without some some conflict, even among the leadership of the church, right? Should we send out so many missionaries so quickly? Well, the Lord is asking us to. Uh, should we uh, spread the gospel to the Gentiles or, or to the Jews? And, and, and should we make the Gentiles conform to some of the cultural practices of the Jews? That became a point of contention, right? So that it wasn't easy. It never is easy. Because, one, again, we all have our choices to make. God's not going to force us to do things his way, and he's not going to micromanage us. 
He's, he's going to help us, but we need to learn, right? That's the purpose is for us to learn and to grow and, and to receive the fullness that he's promised us through his spirit, but that requires work and effort and sometimes some, uh, you know, some, some unpleasant uh, conversations. And, and I like, in fact, I like one of the, the, uh, the eight points of, of the doctrine uh, that, that are listed out on the university's website, your university's website, that eighth point, how we contend for the truth, right? We have to contend mm-hmm. for it. That means we have to really work hard through it and, and, and work with each other and, and overcome obstacles and overcome disagreements and, and focus on the Savior. Mm, I love that. We're talking with M.D. House. He's the author of the Barabbas Trilogy. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and this is Faith Radio. Indeed, the cross has the final word. We are talking with M.D. House about the Barabbas Trilogy. You can find uh, M.D. online at mdhouselive.com. Um, I'm wondering uh, how you envision the Barabbas Trilogy strengthening Christians today. I mean, writers write for a purpose, and mm-hmm. um, I, I, I imagine you have written this for a purpose as well. Yes, I, I certainly want it to be not just entertaining, but inspiring and faith affirming and, and strength and giving us strength through the example of these early Christian saints. Uh, I loved doing a lot of research into the Apostle Paul and, and taking copious notes on all of his epistles. And he's involved in all three books. And that, that was hugely beneficial to me and, and strengthened my faith. And like I said, helps helps me understand more the, the miracles that are happening all around me uh, all the time. So, so yes, I do hope this, this can be uh, of, of benefit to, to everyone. And this third book, The Brabus Legacy, truly did feel like a capstone. Everything, mm-hmm. it was just amazing how things came together. And there are some dramatic events uh, that happen in, in the third book. You see the year of four emperors, where you had basically four emperors in Rome in one year, and, and that was the result of bloody battles every time, and each of the prior emperors was killed. Uh, we don't see that sort of thing normally today, but they saw it. They witnessed it. And then you have a couple of years later, you have the siege of Jerusalem, which Jesus himself had prophesied. And the Roman armies under Titus, who was Vespasian's son, Vespasian was the emperor who came out on top on, on the year of four emperors, laid siege to Jerusalem and killed 90% of the population, effectively ending the Jewish state until 1948. What must the saints have thought in those circumstances that the world was on fire, the world was ending? Was Christ's coming about to, to happen, right? They, they certainly entertained some of those thoughts, and it was a very difficult time. Uh, but they persevered. And, and again, they created just an, an amazing legacy for all of us to remember and to follow as we point ourselves toward the Savior. When you... Um survey the wondrous cross this week, this holy week, mm-hmm. um, when you revisit the text that you've spent so much time studying and, and this character mm-hmm. who you have spent so much time with imagining his life, mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering if in this holy week, you just want to make an appeal to people who maybe have considered Jesus in the past and then mm-hmm. walked away. Is he worth reconsideration? 
He certainly is. He promises us peace in this life and in the life to come. And, you know, we can say that, well, you know, maybe the, at some point uh, they'll be able to repent, but it's, it's far better to do it now because there's so much he can offer in, in terms of, of peace, right? Lots of challenges are always going to come. Every day we're going to face challenges. We're going to face grief and heartache and, and, and lots of things that are hard to explain. But if we have the Savior fully in our life, if we're turning to our Heavenly Father in prayer every day, those things are far easier to deal with, and, and we can learn faster and, and experience more joy. So, yes, ultimately, maybe they'll have their chance, and, and it'll all be okay, but they can experience a, a much better life if, if they can turn their hearts to the Savior right now. You have, um, you have kids and grandkids. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, are there, are there things during Holy Week that are a part of the, um, of the rhythm of your family's life that, um, you know, are maybe somehow an outgrowth of all of this um, consideration and study that you've given to the characters who lived in the first century? Well, we don't have any uh, traditions in, in that sense, in terms of things that we specifically do. In, in fact, we, we just try to, to do good all the time, right? And, and mm. keep studying the, the words of, of Christ all the time, right? Uh, to constantly maintain and, and bolster our, our strength. One of the things I've recently been thinking about is how can I be stronger in my affirmation and defense of the truth, we mm-hmm. see a lot of people out there. I know you recently had a conversation. I listened to it uh, with uh, Daniel Bennett about mm-hmm. being truth tellers versus moderates, right? Christ was mm-hmm. a, a peaceful person, but he wasn't afraid to contend for the truth. And he wasn't going to say things like, well, I don't want to upset the Pharisees, so I better not say this. He told the truth. And when he came that, that, you know, we talk about the Holy Week and what happened during the Holy Week, he came to Jerusalem. One of the first things he did, and, and this was for the second time that he had done it, is he cleansed the temple of all the money changers. And he said, this is my house. And you're not honoring my house. You're not doing the things that would benefit the people in this house. And I'm telling you that now, and I'm not afraid to tell you that. And, and so I think about, you know, what can I do to be stronger in, in my faith and, and to stand more firmly for truth? I read a really interesting book, by the way, by John McDougall, who's an Army Ranger, and it's called Jesus Was an Airborne Ranger. Mm. And he talks a lot about the warrior Christ and how he basically drops in behind enemy lines to rescue us, and he's not afraid of anything. And, and how can I use that example in my life to do more, to be, you know, to be more courageous? I, I don't want to just be a, a moderate. There's a, there's a great quote, um, and maybe I'll share it briefly with you. It's, really, it's short. Um, and <clears throat> it's by a man named Neil A. Maxwell. And he said, Satan need not get everyone to be like Cain or Judas, though he relishes such dramatic success. He needs only to get able men and women like Pilate or Agrippa to see themselves as sophisticated neutrals. Mm. And I don't want to be a sophisticated neutral. I want to be firmly on the side of the Savior, on his right hand instead of on his left, because there really is no middle ground. 
That is so good. All right, MD House, thank you so very much. Um, I'm I'm with you. I, I don't want to be a sophisticated neutral. Um, absolutely. So thank you so much for um, the books. Thank you so much for the Barabbas trilogy. Thank you for joining us today to discuss the Barabbas legacy, your latest book. You guys can find MD online at mdhouselive.com. You've given us a lot to think about. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Okay, if you Google sophisticated neutrals, what you get is uh, a color palette of things that look like grayish. Apparently, grayish is the new sophisticated neutral out there. So, uh, if you want the Neil Maxwell quote, um, you might have to Google Satan sophisticated neutrals, because that's what got me uh, to the quote that was offered up there at the very um, end of that conversation with MD House. Satan need not get everyone to be like Cain or Judas, though he relishes such dramatic success. He needs only get able men like Pilate or Agrippa to see themselves as sophisticated neutrals. That's from Neil Maxwell, uh, Deposition of a Disciple, page 88. There you go. But if you just Google sophisticated neutrals, yeah, you get a grayish color palette. Hmm, I don't want to be grayish. That'll be my... Uh, That'll be my statement today. I do not want to be grayish. Let, let me be black or white. Let me be seen as hot or cold. But let me not be a sophisticated neutral known as grayish. How about you? How about you? Who are you going to be today? Uh, let us be the people in whom Christ is pleased to dwell. Let the power of the Holy Spirit extend the gospel to more and more people. Let us be the people who are blessed to be a blessing, ambassadors of Christ in his kingdom, agents of grace, instruments in the hand of God. Let God use us. Let God use you today. He has set divine appointments. He has prepared and advanced the good works he wants each one of us to do. He has fully equipped and empowered us to do so by the active presence of his Holy Spirit. So let's get after it. No grage today. No grage. All right, let's get after it. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.